Hi folks, how's everyone doing out there? I hope everyone is out there staying safe and healthy. Thank you so much for listening into Necessary Conversations with a Black Woman. I'm your host, Jessica Mason. So we've had the ladies on, specifically black women on, to talk about their plights and, you know, share their stories with everyone. So now it's time to expand. It's time to invite others on and, you know, explore and start having some of these conversations, these necessary conversations that we must have. We're never going to grow as a society if we don't. And the dialogue has to start somewhere. So I say, why not here and why not now? Let's do this and start to grow as a people and come together as a people. So you know how we do on these parts. Sit down, take a load off, relax, get your libations, your teas, your coffees, your preference, whatever that is. It's water in some cases for some folks. And let's just sit down and have these conversations. Today we have with us, ladies first. Daphne Brown. Hey, Daphne, thank you for joining us today. Daphne, what uh, is your occupation? New York City Department of Corrections, correction officer. I'm retired. Oh, if we tie it. Okay, okay. Gentlemen, who we have with us? Uh, I'm Alex Williams, also a retired uh, New York City uh, correction officer. Okay. So Good to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. And congratulations to you. You are the first male to do a show with me today. So thank you very much for participating for that. All right. What you say? Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So uh, you said both of you are corrections officers? Yes. So what exactly is the difference between correctional and corrections? The correction officer, basically that's that's a city. Correctional is uh, either state or state. Uh, federal. Okay, so you guys were corrections officers, so you guys work for New York City, not New York State. Right. Well, my, okay. Alvin did. Alvin worked the state before he came to the city. Okay. Okay, gotcha. he worked the same thing. Okay, so Al, since you're on there as a as a uh, you know just to you know join in real quick for us, what was the difference between the two systems? Like in terms of internal, was the difference between working for the correctional facility and the corrections facility? Well, correction uh, correctional is more of a more sentence. Um, it's a like penitentiary, pretty much, compared to uh, Rikers Island. Or city correction is uh, more like a, pretty much a holding or uh, like a county jail. Gotcha. Okay. What led you down the road to corrections? I mean, I don't think the average little kid goes, you know, saying, you know, I want to be a corrections officer. Some do, some don't. But, you know, that it wasn't necessarily the ideal job growing up, I'm sure. So what led you down the road to corrections? My daughter's father is a correction officer, too. He's a retired correction captain. So he was telling me about the job and the pay was good and you can work around, it'll help you work around the kids, put the kids in school and you, you could try to get a steady tour so you could be able to be home with your kids. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was uh, taking uh, as many uh, civil service tests as I could and I actually uh, was called by the fire department and the police department. And I, I finished with corrections first. And I just said, you know what? You know, I'm going for it. If I don't like it, I'll switch over. And ironically, when the time came, uh, when they did call me and I could have switched over, I was past, I was at top pay and I didn't want to go back. <laughs> okay, so how, what would you say is 
a good day on the job. Like, you know how some people come on and say, yeah, today was a good day. I had a good day on the job. What does a good day on the job when you work at corrections consist of? Going in. <laughs> it's peaceful and quiet. You start your day off. You get, if you have workers, you get your workers up. Make sure they out. They go on the job. You get your work crew up. The guys that's in charge of cleaning the housing area, you let them clean the bathrooms. Don't allow nobody in the bathrooms. Mop the floors. Clean the day room. Yeah. The facility I worked in was sentenced. The inmates were sentenced. So majority of them were gone during the day. They were out working. They was, you know, doing the farm game. They was working in C95, cooking the food for the inmates. I mean, just by me coming in and they halfway out and then I had the rest of the guys, I would have like maybe 15 people left, if that. It was quiet. Anything that everybody had to do, it was, I mean, I, I didn't have too many bad days. I always had good days because they knew the type of person I was. I second that because, um, you know, uh, you're my colleague, but you were very, very professional and it just set a tone. Well, what would you say was a good day for you? Similar? Well, I didn't have, I didn't have too many, uh, uh, I wasn't in a working house, but for me, I would sum it up as no runs, no hits, no errors. And what I mean by that is no stat runs. So there was nobody stabbed anything um, going to the hospital. Lord have mercy. So that was no, no stat runs, no hits, meaning no, no fights. And most importantly, no errors, meaning I didn't make any errors during the day. So I used to sum it up. No runs, no hits, no errors. It was a good day. And I had way more good days than bad. I, I really, you know, I can count on one day the, uh, uh, on one hand, the, the bad days, Re really. Okay, well, that's that sounds good. Twenty years in, and you can count on one hand how many bad days you had. That speaks volumes. You know, and we worked around good people. Like, look, look at uh, Johnson and Vivican. Good, good people. You know, so it's easy to work with when, when you got good people around. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's like, what what was like one of the worst days on the job you've ever had? I remember I did overtime. I was working um, eight to four. I did overtime, and I told the guys, if you clean up now, you can sleep till 11 o'clock. So uh, the captain came in. That was cool. But when the depth walked, he was like, what are these guys doing there? You know, they need to be up clean. I said, everything's clean. Broadway took him in the bathroom, and he, he was uh, one of those questionable ones. Okay. And uh, he made sure he made enough noise. <laughs> and got everybody up so there was technically nothing wrong but he decided to make a big deal over timing well you know on sat this was a friday going into a saturday saturday's okay. the work day but they had already done everything that that night before so when i and i was coming back then in the, in the morning because i had done overtime so i was like okay we good the house was smelling the housing area when i say house housing area Mm -hmm. smelling good and whatnot. It just was so out of the ordinary for him to walk and see nobody doing nothing and everything is done. Mm. Okay, so it's like nobody, you don't want nobody slacking off. There's something to be done. Why isn't somebody doing something? Or you're yeah. not letting them, or you're not making them do something, or why are you not enforcing them doing something when they've already done it? Right, right. Huh. You, you, they never heard the term work smart, not hard? Uh, well... <laughs> 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 uh, some, sometimes uh, individuals 
particularly uh, bosses just want to see things done repetitiously, and that's all they see. Uh, Daphne, what about you? What would you say was one of the worst days on the job? Well, I was um, working in the clinic, and we had to go down to a dorm um, because this, this inmate was real sick, but we didn't know why. By the time we got down there, what had happened, he fell and hit the, he hit his head on the sink. So they had him sitting in a chair when we got down there to take him to the clinic. And next thing you know, I think whatever caused him to hit his head started making whatever was inside him, like his uh, intestines or whatever, all of that just came out. Like he just, and so we had to like mm. try to, you know, get some of the guys to put him on a stretcher to get him out of there so we could try to rush him to the hospital. Cause the bathrooms are like a uh, towel. So it's slippery when wet. Right. So he must have slipped and hit the, the sink. Mm. So that was like a, a bad day. That's something I like. Did y'all lose that inmate? I'm not sure. They don't. They don't tell us whether or not you know they pass or whatever. I don't. I don't know. So now let's 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 talk a little bit about more about like when it comes to working with counterparts and such. And I was um I read an article once uh, from uh, jranks.org, and it was basically saying how basically in the 70s. Uh, corrections as a whole had to go through a whole overview of because they were having issues when it came one to staffing. Um, there was high uh, turnarounds for staffing. Um, there was a growing lack of white applicants um, that were applying for the job pool. And then there was uh, like treatment criteria, and uh, there was a serious demand to diversify, including for minorities and for women. Uh, there was a lot of pushback from male uh, CEOs, from what I understand, at least according to the article, because they said that women uh, were too emotional for the job. They lacked uh, physical strength to do the job and they didn't weren't reliable backup for them. So now, uh, Wills, this is directly to you. You've worked. You said you've worked side by side with the women the whole time. Would you agree or disagree? Or was it something that would only pray tell to the women of that era? I would say uh it was probably uh, the women of that era because uh, in the seventies, I was in high school. Okay. So I can only speak on hearsay at, at the time, but uh, I can directly speak to um, the women I've, I've worked with. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fine line. Um, they can be professional and not have to be a, a, a macho of, of person you know uh that Daphne is a, a perfect example of that you know professional to the point not walking around tough and talking mm -hmm. mean to everybody that's not that's not necessary you could get the work done without doing that but then you know that's that's learning the skills of the job but I can speak to during my time there and that was basically from uh 90 to uh 2009 my time there, uh, basically, I had professional women. You know, once that tone is set, oh, we're not, we're not going to disrespect Miss Johnson, and that's not how it was. 
see, I can see definitely. I've spent I've spent time with you. I've been in your presence. You are one not to be working with in general, no matter the job or on the street or just in general. But not every woman has that persona about them. So, did you ever see any disparities, uh, for like female for your female uh coworkers with other male counterparts or anything that you might have had to step in and say, oh no, no, you're not going to treat her that way. No, I didn't. Um, yeah, it was some females that had problems with males. Um, you just try to tell the males uh, not to treat them like that because if they treat them like that, the inmates is going to do the same exact thing, especially in front of inmates, mm. to try to respect them, you know, try to help them hold it down. I didn't have that problem because I had to learn how to say, okay, this is my job, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to be respected. Because I didn't have too many problems with inmates. The ones I did have problems with, I had to get them back. I had to just pull them in and say, listen, we're not doing that today. I said, you got a mother, you got a sister, you got aunts, you got grandmothers. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm, treat me like, I'm, like a woman should be treated. I'm not here to, to judge you for what you did. So just treat me how you would treat your your um your female um family members. Right. Let me ask something. Did you ever run into like a former inmate on the outside? And how was that experience? Yes. How was that yes. experience? The first time um I was with a, a, a friend of mine and she panicked and I had to tell her, don't panic. Don't panic because he gonna he gonna he gonna see that you're fearing him. Okay. We're not fearing him. He's out. He's free. He don't have no reason to cause us any harm. So I just want you to relax. I got this. And he just you know he's talking. Oh, I'm out, and I don't know what he you know what he really wanted to do, but otherwise no. And then this other guy. Uh, he was actually in that armory on, what is that? Atlantic Avenue, I think it is. Okay. That big armory where the men, where they have the men sheltered. He was like, how you doing? I'm working. I'm trying to get my life together. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was it. Okay. So that was more of a pleasant experience when you see them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because that's so, another thing too, it's like you, be careful how you treat people. I know one of the requirements to work in certain city organizations is that you live in New York City. And as big as New York City is, it really isn't. There might be somebody that you run into that you may never run into again in life. But there's a possibility if you guys both live in the same city that you might have to run into them again. So as a, as a CEO on Rikers, you never know if you might run into this person again on the street. And when you guys are on the street, you're not in uniform. <laughs> yes. But you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with just being uh, treating people fairly. Mm-hmm. You know, I run into them all the time. My my situation, I haven't had a bad experience. Uh, I remember one time I was on the, the train and this guy was on the other side. So he's like, yo, well, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, um, but I see them all the time. I mean, I grew up in the South Bronx and. All, all the time. And it's always like either what's up, you know, uh, and a lot of the, a lot of them, when I came in as a rookie, it was like the neighborhood was right there. Mm. You, you know, uh, so it really wasn't, you know, I had, I had guys 
that looked at me and said, because um, I had a couple of guys that I worked security with that was locked up. Ooh. And it was like, you know what, man? Yeah, I can see you doing this. Yeah, I can see you doing it. And then uh, other guys would just say, what's up? But one thing I never did, and this wasn't from a macho perspective, just from believing in God. Anytime I do run into somebody, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's me. It's me. And it, it's usually a pleasant exchange, but I just, uh, I'm a strong believer in God. And I've gotten through a lot of um, uh, tight situations. And I may have said the right thing to calm it down, but mm-hmm. that really wasn't me talking. That was God coming through me. So that's, that's just how I live. And I'm talking plenty of times. There were hostile situations going on even fights and I've just been been blessed and I and I definitely don't take that for granted that's a, it is a blessing um so with that being said like you said you um it was almost like the neighborhood when you first got there did it ever affect you in any sort of way having to see certain demographics possibly coming in there or coming in and out no because uh, just growing up you know, and being a black man, mm-hmm. you know, um, certain things are not going to change, you know, and, and when you go in the streets, you know, you, some people make crazy money, but then the other part is a lot of them lose it. Some of them lose their lives. Like that all comes into play. That's all part of it. So it didn't really affect me uh, any which way Either of you ever worked with the youth while on Rikers? Yes, yes. Share a little bit of that experience. Like, was it more difficult to be with the youth or with the adults? I didn't work with them too much. Only time I would go in there, like, if I had to relieve the officer to eat. But they were, like, you know, play around and stuff like that. And the the officers that they had in the um, dorm with them, Mm -hmm. they were very strict on them. So... You didn't have too many problems because they know they gave me a problem. When that officer came back, they either wasn't going to watch movies or they're going to be on their bed all night and they couldn't get off their beds. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I didn't work with them like too much. I, I worked with them about four to five years. The first part was when I was in high impact. That was a special program. And then... um when I went into the building, my building was the Sands Building, C-76, um, or known as CIFM now. And uh, the kids, you know, uh, it's, it's a lot harder work because you got to be uh, big brother, father. You're the correction officer as well, you right. know. Um, and you, 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 it's, a, it's definitely a lot more work, but very, very fulfilling. Now... I had a situation where uh, I, I think that it was like 35 or, or 40 guys. Okay. And I was telling the captain how, you know, uh, how we can make things better and all this. He was like, okay, well, boom, you're going to be with the kids. So uh, the kids used to eat at 430 in the morning. Okay. Mm. So I challenged the kids because they, they go to school at seven o'clock. And I challenged them. I said, look, you know, Y'all can get your GEDs here. 
I said, I, I'll, I'll have the captain work it where we go, we go to eat at a quarter to six. We're in and out. And that hour or 45 minutes, I'll work with you on getting um, the work right for the GED. Okay. Okay. My surprise, I saw it. There was 40 guys, but uh, 30, 34 actually uh, was, was in there with me. The other um, six, you know, had gotten discharged. But 17 of them got their uh, GEDs. And why, why that resonates so much was um, my, my captain was telling me, you know, I, I was in the running for officer of the month, but I, and I didn't get it. And I told him, I said, nothing could be bigger than my 17 guys that got their GED. And he looked at me like I was crazy, but I'm not going to stop being who I am. And that's just, that's just how I, I saw it. Right. So now, like, with that being said, and that's beautiful, and congratulations on that. Like, I, I, I love him hearing that. And that's yeah. good, because that's only going to help them when as they try to proceed in life moving forward. So now, I know you say you always have to keep a level of professionalism. And especially when the youth, when you see them trying and trying to progress, how do you, how's, how do you not develop, like, a, a, some sort of bond or relationship with them? Or even like you said, going into like going in, it was like going into the neighborhood. You might have grown up with some of these guys. And like, yeah. you know, how's it difficult not to even sometimes even just do favors as they call it? Well, you, you know, it, it's all about the professional relationship. <laughs> and you work with what you have. Like, let's say um, if, if the jail says we can have uh, movies. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to work with what I have. If... Um, if the jail says, okay, well, you know, um, your house gang, particularly when I when I worked um, on the segregated side, we had our food brought to us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, my house gang that, that cleaned up and whatnot, okay, if there was uh, any uh, cereal left over, okay, you can get that. And I just worked through what I had. I worked the commissary and the clothes box. So the clothes box, my guys were steady. I got guys that, because in um, EMTC, they stay a year or less. So okay. quite naturally, you get a bond, especially the guys that was working with me. So I would tell them, okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go do this, fold the clothes, make sure, make sure um, the clothes box was, you know, clean and the stuff was folded and everything. And you know they, we were in charge of washing the inmates' clothes, making sure uh, the linen was clean, or taking the linen to the laundromat because there was a big laundromat on Rikers Island too that that our guys worked at. Um, making sure on Friday they get they got to shop, and and tell them you know they they respected me. A lot of them was like yeah. we're coming in with a different attitude, and I would try to tell them no, that's not what we're doing here. I'm like, but it's always one. It's like, oh, I did this and I did that, and uh, my mother did this and my mother did that, and I tell them, but those people are not here. I'm here. You're here until you actually go home. You're here, so just yeah. make the best of of a bad thing. You gotta do whatever you can. So I made sure every day they came down. I gave them cereal and they had Frosted Flakes. Frosted Flakes and milk. Yeah. I made sure they eat. And then on lunchtime, if we had chicken day, I used to go up to the to the kitchen and get them chicken and make sure they had chicken. 
They didn't have to go to the cafeteria to eat. So they felt like kind of safe. If I stayed and, and did a double, they would stay down there with me too. And I'd be like, y'all can go back. No, they were like, we're going to stay down here with you, Miss J. They call me Miss J. Yeah. We're going to stay down here with you, Miss J. We're not going upstairs. You take care of us. Mm -hmm. And then I would bring in my own, like, the jail supplies soap, but it was like um, a non-brand soap. So I would bring in, you know, maybe a cheap soap that they could wash their clothes and some downy so they, you know, they clothes. Right. So because they're around me and, you know, I want them to make sure they're clean, they're smelling huh? good. I made sure I gave them underwear, t-shirts, socks, toothpaste, yeah. anything that they needed that they didn't have to worry about. And that was it. I had a good, I had a good crew. I had one guy that was like, he used to call my husband and pop and call me mom. Mom and pop, he was like, he was like almost our age. Mm. But I mean, that's how you, I mean, working in that type of situation, if you show them that, you know, you care just a bit, you don't have to go out your, it's not like you're going out your way. You're just caring just a little bit because these people mm -hmm. around you. Right. And they're going to feel like, I'm a female. They're going to feel some way like, oh man, I don't want to go around her if I ain't brush my teeth. So, you know, I got, Miss J, can I get some toothpaste and a toothbrush? And then, you know, they do the right thing. Cool. Like, as long as the inmates on their best behavior and you have good working professional COs, it's almost like y'all develop your own little sense of a small family there in one of the most unlikely places that one would think to, that you could do that on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it. It's, it's, it's what the, the captain allows. So if you, if you, we were, at that time, we were allowed to bring bags in. So whatever, wherever I work, I would bring detergent or I would bring Lysol. And they, they thanked me for that. I didn't have to do that because they gave us pine and you had to dilute it. And it was like, that smell, that smell mm. of that pine that they had was industrial pine. It wasn't like pine, like you think pine. And yeah. that was the worst, worst smell for me. Cause I know it's been plenty of times I roll past gels and I smell that smell and I'm like, oh, that's a gel. Mm. Cause they don't, they the only ones that use that pine. So I would bring in, you know, something cheap, not nothing expensive. Cause I'm in the dorm with them. I want to make sure it's clean. I want to make sure everything is spotless because right. I have to be there and they have to be there. I have to breathe that in. Sometimes I have to do 16 hours. Mm. So I want to make sure where I'm at was good. And from what I understand, sometimes those weren't 16 hours that were already pre-planned. Sometimes you get stuck and you have no choice to, but to stay if you ever leave, don't show up, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So now you're doing forced yeah. overtime, in other words. It's nothing, this isn't necessarily... Oh, I want I want this overtime. No, this is forced overtime. Yeah, sometimes, but not all the time because you can you would always find somebody that would take that shift, that okay. would work that shift for you. And you know and the ones would, that that are looking for overtime, that are always looking for overtime, they'll let you know. Okay, okay. So it's not always like, oh God, I'm stuck here, and it's not even so much about the money. It's like. I have things to do, or I can't be stuck here, or I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. No, is you 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 can find somebody. You can call around. Somebody gonna want some money. The yard when the yard people get off at five o'clock. Sometimes they want to get that extra four hours or five hours or whatever it is. 
Okay. So you you have people in mind that you could call up and say, "Listen, I'm here until eleven o'clock tonight. Could you take the rest of the overtime when you can get off at five? And they're like, "No problem. Let me just give me something to eat, and then I'll come down there and relieve you." And it's okay. like splitting your overtime. That's all it was, splitting your overtime. Okay, so you get a little extra pay, but you don't have, you're not uh, grinding for the whole full sixteen. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Wills, you said you was always housed in Rikers, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely not you. You you said you didn't. You weren't. No, always- I I started in Manhattan House, which is I don't know what they call it now, but it was it was MDC, right next to the courts. Was that the tombs? Yes. Okay. Then they closed half of the building. They have a they had a north and a south building. They closed the south building. So being that I came in in '91 and I was like. We were all at the bottom, so they picked 25 from the bottom and they sent us to the Beacon, which is GRVC. GRVC opened up in 1991. So we went there and we opened up the new part of GRVC, which was a high class jail. So every inmate in there was high class. And they all were in the cell. We like on the midnight tour one night, I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, looking and then next thing i see i see something moving across the housing area i'm like what is that this guy got real smart he tied a string to a shoe and they have these like little latches where you if they were in the cell and you had to feed them he used that to open it up and throw the shoe to the to the guy on the bottom cell he put a bag uh, and he put all the stuff in the pillowcase to feed this guy and he worked it. So all I saw was the bag going. And I'm like, what in the world? Because it's dark in there. I'm like, what in the world is that? He was like, CO, he hungry. I was like, I couldn't do nothing but laugh. I couldn't do nothing but laugh. I was like, I was like, y'all think of anything, anything. I'm like, listen, they have nothing but time. You get real creative. Yeah, but I mean, that was creative. To take a shoe and make sure it landed to that guy. Because it, it ain't no other way how to, he was going to get it in the middle of the night. I didn't say, you know, say nothing to him. I'm like, okay, he hungry. I was trying to figure out why they didn't do it before they got locked in for the night. Because I had the midnight tour. Ooh. But I mean, you see things that you haven't seen in the world. Yeah, I, I got one for you. Okay. Now, when I came in, I, I came in at, at HDM in the bank. And I'm working in general pop at this point on overtime. And mm-hmm. I see a bunch of guys in the back for water. They have uh, the 190 tank, but the 190 tank was broken. So what they did was they took a two liter bar, a two liter of um, uh, Pepsi, took off the, uh, the sides of it, the label, uh-huh. put, um, what was that, uh, uh, oil, baby oil around it. And they had a fire going. So when I walked back there, I, I didn't scream or nothing. I'm looking at I'm looking at that. And then one of the guys say, CO, this is a hot water, 190 is broken. So they would go in the back to heat up their water. But I had no idea that um the plastic bottle could sustain that. But it, it was that the uh, the baby oil is burning. Now the, the bottle's getting contorted, but they were able to get hot water by that method. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? I was like, okay, what do I do to that? Well, like, okay, you got your hot water, just let it go. 
<laughs> but you learned something that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have been out of corrections for a little while now. So, and but during your time, I know you've seen it change. What would you tell a young man or young woman going into corrections today? Be alert when you're in there. Be alert. You know, uh, it seems like these assaults have gone up um, tremendously. You know, yes. uh, I just say you, you have to be alert and, um, you know, don't get into uh, no favors with anybody because all an inmate can do is help you lose your job. Mm. You know, when, yes. when it comes to favors and things like that. Right, right. Because it's much different now than it was when we were in there 10 years yeah. ago. Because we stuck together. We stuck together. We didn't, we didn't have no problems or nothing like that. And you just have to actually get a partner that you can work with that y'all going to back each other up. You're not going to be, oh, I'm uh, officer so-and-so said this. And then officer so no, no. Y'all both have to back each other up and let each other know what's going on in the dorm. But you can tell when something something is getting ready to happen, it gets so quiet you can hear a pin drop and you can say wait a minute uh-uh this is not about to go down you can let them know before the, ahead of time I don't know it's like a spidey sense but you know definitely that something is getting ready to happen so you have to you have to tell them let them know no y'all not doing this now uh-uh what's going on what's the problem I've watched that's basically it I've watched pieces before where they say like I don't know if it'd be the same like in the in the correctional facilities as they were in the penitentiaries. The piece I was watching was talking specifically about a penitentiary, but that um, race is extremely big in prison and it's like very clicky by race. But would not but New York City being as diverse as it is and like they call it the melting pot, how does that reflect in some place like Rikers? Like when you like you said. Um, Wells, you went in there and it was almost like the, the neighborhood was in there. Well, the neighborhood consisted of black kids, yeah. Latino kids, Asian kids. Like, mm-hmm. how does that reflect mm-hmm. when you go in there? It's like, I can't, you expect Jose to pair off and just be with this guy when he grew up right next door to Jerome? <laughs> okay, you have you have uh, Latin Kings, Nietzsche's, uh, uh, the Bloods and the Crips, but that mm-hmm. fact of people who grew up together, now I've I've seen people with different different uh uh the gang sets, but they knew each other, and it wasn't like as if they um they 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 kept that going, but it wasn't like on on a a big scale. But that that camaraderie was still there, even though they was with different sets. You know, they just had to downplay it while they was there. That that I have seen that uh, firsthand. Us mm. wills, but he'll be back. So the same camaraderie like amongst the inmates would be the same amongst the COs as well. Yes. It was, it was, I mean, I mean, we all came from the same neighborhood. Like if we didn't come from the same neighborhood, we knew somebody from that neighborhood or they knew somebody from that neighborhood. I mean, they got along. It wasn't like, okay, the whites over here and the blacks, we didn't have that many white inmates. If we had a white MAA, one or two, we didn't have that many. Mm. It was majority African American and then Spanish. If you had a white guy, 
he probably was doing drugs or something, but he just he just fit in with everybody else. He didn't. It wasn't like, oh, we're not messing with the white guy. No. They yeah, I just, didn't have so that like that 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 talk of like race wars that they have in prisons. Y'all didn't have to deal with that. No, we didn't mm-hmm. have that. I never seen it. The whole time I was there, I never seen it. F was the games. The less, just like he said, the Latin Kings and okay. the Nietes and the uh, Bloods. Okay. And the Crips. So, but we didn't have too many Crips because Crips is California. We had right. the Bloods, but they had the markings on their face. So, you know who they were. But we had housing areas where they would put them, like, uh, we, we would put them in eight main or six main. Or they were where Will was at, two and three main, two and three upper. Okay. So we knew exactly where those inmates was, but we didn't have like, I mean, if the gangs were fighting, they would wait until I, I say go into the mess hall because there was nowhere else they could do it unless they go in the yard. And I mean, the yard is big. So we didn't have too many fights in the yard either. So I don't, I mean, maybe upstate is more prevalent than the city. But I mean, it wasn't outrageous. Like we did, we like security knew who was Bloods and who was Latin Kings and all that. But we didn't. Um, no, no race war. Just the gangs. That's about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Always, I was always curious about that when I would see stuff like that. Like, okay, does that apply to a place as diverse as New York City, or even someplace like Chicago or something like that? It might be different than anywhere else or it might be different now but when we were there we had no we didn't have no problem it was just the games it wasn't race and i i ain't seen too many race stuff what about the folks who came from like the lgbt community the guys that were gay Mm -hmm. i used to tell the men stop messing with him because don't forget he's still a man he he ain't lose that part he may be gay, but he's still a man. And they used to mess with them, and then they be fighting them, and then they find them like men. They weren't against them. Like, only time we had guys that came in that had breasts, and they didn't have the full operation. And they okay. looked like women. They got, you know, surgery and stuff like that. But the guys didn't mess with them. They don't, they want, you know what they wanted. They wanted them for sex. And they would try to find certain areas in the jail where they could go and do these things and where nobody would find out what they were doing. Uh, but it um, ain't too many places in the jail you could do that. Right. I forgot what facility is. I think it's Fulton County. And um, they have, it's down in Atlanta. And they have a house within there separate specifically for um, LGBT. And I'm like, to me, that's actually brilliant. One, it protects them. It keeps them mm-hmm. safe. And you don't have to worry about None of that. And it's probably less trips to the hospital ward, too. <laughs> well, we didn't have that problem. They sent us. We didn't have that problem. The inmates knew that these guys were gay. Actually, they'd be asking them, could you braid my hair? Could you, uh, you got some extra food? That's what they were doing. I mean, that was a world. It wasn't, I don't remember them, like, hating on them that much, because that's how it was. Like, it seemed like one time they went and they locked up all the guys, all the gay guys, and they were all in one dorm, like 85 inmates, 85. And I'll tell you, probably about 30 of them were gay guys with wigs on and everything. 
and the guys, they all in there complaining. I might stop complaining. They're men too. Because if they weren't men, they wouldn't be here. Right. If they had the full surgery, they would not be here. They would be with the women. I don't never remember. You ever remember having a problem with, with the gay guys or anything? But I did have one situation where this guy was hitting on his this guy, gay guy, right? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. the guy, the gay guy, he was like, he always came to, to the six building. He was in and out of jail always. But he was a quiet guy, never gave officers or anybody a hard time. And this guy just kept hitting on him, hitting on him. So one day I was going up the stairs and they were coming back from, from the feeding. They were going back to the dorm. And I heard a commotion downstairs. So I turned around, ran downstairs. Now the guy that was hitting on him must have been about six something. The other guy must be about five, 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 six. And the six footer was on the floor, out cold. And I looked at the other guy, the gay guy, and I asked him, what in the hell happened? And he's like, he keep hitting on me. I tell him I just want to do my time and get out. He grabs on me and try to, you know, touch me. And I told him I don't want to be bothered. And I just got fed up and I hit him. So I said, you knocked him out? He said, listen, I wasn't always gay. I used to buy golden gloves. But that's what I used to tell them. You never know who they are. They still mm -hmm. men. Just because they walk around or feminine, they're not a woman. They still have the strength of a man, you know? And that was the only situation I actually had that, you know, with a, a gay individual or a straight individual. But other than that, they all got along. Is there anything that you want to say, anything I didn't ask, or just like a statement that you want to say to close it out? The people that's working now, um, God bless them, because I know it's hard. It's, it's very hard. But the sorts and stuff, we didn't have that. And now they have cameras, so we we didn't have to worry about cameras or anything. We always had somebody that come in, like maybe one or two guys are coming in, knuckleheads, and then the other guy would tell them. We okay here. They not like that. They not doing all that here. Just do your time and go home. That was it. Do your time and go home and you won't have a problem. But back then you had staff that worked with you. You had captains, assistant deputy wardens. If you had uh, a serious problem, you just handled your business and it was, and that was it. But now it's just so much um, you'll get written up for everything. You know, you can't do anything. You can't do this. If you, they hit you, now you retaliate. You get in trouble for that. Um, mm. And the staff don't stick, the, um, they don't stick behind you. They don't, everybody's about lawsuits now. So it's a lot harder. It's a lot do think, harder. Do you think that has anything to do with them wanting I mean, to close Rikers? Because there's a lot of talk on that. No, I don't no. think so. I don't think so. It's just politics. But politics going now, it's almost the same thing now with the cameras and witnesses and investigation as office in the building. It, it's too much. And then they got cameras. We didn't have cameras. We didn't have to have that because the inmates knew how we were. The inmates knew what, what kind of what we were what we were gonna do for that day. They wanna have a perfect day, they have nothing to worry about or nothing. I wasn't always in uh, 76, but I did majority of my time in 76. Like 14 years I did in 76. 
then I was in, you know, Manhattan House and then the Beacons. And then but, the quality of inmates also changed because back in the 80s, most of them were drug related. Now okay. it just seems like more of it is violent crimes also. So if they're violent outside, it's going to be violent inside too. Also, the programs, when I first started in the 80s, they had different programs at abatement where they teach the inmates how to do uh, asbestos removal. They had wood shop class, but adolescents, they had driving program. In the 90s, all that was out the window. They didn't teach them anything. They even had locksmith at one time. All that went out the window. So that was one of the problems because they didn't teach them anything, any skills. So they would go back out there with no skills. And then once they're out there with a criminal record, nobody wants to hire them. So that's all they did was go back into crime. Nobody right. wants to hire them. They had no skills and they had a record. So the system, the system got worse. In other words, we got to change the system in order to get. So now, okay. So now, in your opinions, how do we do that? How do we prevent um, folks from, from coming in and out? Do we set up the systems inside so that they don't come back, or do we set them up on the outside just to prevent them from going in in general? Both. 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 Okay, folks, it's going to take opportunities and programs both inside the facility and outside the facility in order for us to change the system. And that's only the way it's going to happen is if we, the people ourselves, make these changes in order for the system to change. Wills texted me. He couldn't, he had to leave abruptly, but he texted me to let me know that um, he couldn't come back, but that he's grateful to participate. Thank you guys for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Folks, thank you for tuning into Necessary Conversations with a Black Woman. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy.